It's the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast, featuring stories of royals, scandals, and true crime. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Larissa. Hi, welcome to Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast. I am one of your hosts, Carrie. And I am Larissa, your other host. Hello. Hey, hey, girl. Girl, it seems that our most famous mid-steeds and intrigue characters are just stepping in it. We've had a big action-packed news filled two weeks. We have. So what have you been with you go first? And then I'll tell you the stuff that I was I was watching and reading. Well, um, I would like to say that she's not our girl, but we've done a lot on her. Miss Ghislaine Maxwell was convicted and she is she faces up to 65 years in prison after being found guilty of five counts last month on charges, including enticing minors to travel to engage in sex acts and transporting minors with the internet of having them engage in, oh, the intent of having them engage in criminal activity. Let me say that one more time. And transporting minors with the intent of having them engage in criminal activity. But her her lawyers are calling for a new trial after one of the jurors on the case revealed in media interviews that he had been a victim of sexual assault as a child. I call bullshit on that. Yeah. It's going to be really hard to find people that haven't. There's a rate, I think of females yeah. that have been assaulted three out of five. So I don't know how you, that's a very high percentage in our country. So I don't know how you're going to, or someone that knows someone who's been assaulted. Yeah. Good luck with that. I was curious that because I wanted to bring this up when we were talking about Prince Andrew. So you have to tune in mm-hmm. to that. That's another little ploy. But uh, <laughs> th- so his accuser, Virginia Guthrie, as we said in our other show, that she's getting seven of the names of the John Doe's to be unsealed. Now, when I read some of the comments on articles and things about her, supposedly she also trafficked some of her friends. So, but she was under the age of 18. She was 17. I don't know what the, uh, what the age of consent is in various states. Will she get in trouble for that? Or will they see that as a victim? And she's underage as well. This is not me saying one way or the other, what I think or not, because I think this happens even on the streets down in DC, where you have one friend who's on the street and the other girl has a rough home life and she joins her. Like, I don't, I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just curious. Or they need a friend, like, come with me, make sure I'm going to be okay. But it doesn't end up, a 16 or 17 year old is not going to be able to protect another 16 or 17 year old. No. I don't know. That's a sticky one. In 2005, the parent of a young girl called the police station. Willing to come in to provide me with a statement. 
what he would do is he'd recruit one and then she would go around and get the other girls and offer him $200. Oh, you just have to come over and give him a massage in high school in Florida. I saw this picture of Ghislaine and Jeffrey on an airplane, private jet, and he's sprawled out and she's got his, she's massaging his bare foot. She's like at his feet massaging. And she had it like down her top. I know it's so gross. Like she was, I don't even want to say it. No, it was gross. Bosom flirting with his toes. Yeah, that was so gross. Mm -mm. Yeah, so uh, she's she's in it. She's going to release some names. This is going to be a very interesting next few months. On another note, (laughs) I would like to tell you that our friend Elizabeth Holmes, she has also been convicted of fraud. Uh, She faces up to 20 years in federal prison, and um, she was convicted on four fraud-related charges in connection with the collapse of her former blood testing company, Theranos. Uh, She faces up to 20 years, but who knows if she'll do that. Also, Holmes will remain free for the eight months leading up to her sentencing hearing on a $500,000 bond secured by property. Okay, here's the big bombshell. She's reportedly living at a $135 million Silicon Valley estate with her partner, Billy Evans, who is the son of San Diego hotel magnate, Bill Evans. I bet Megan is like, where the fuck did I go wrong? Here is a convicted fraudster living in a $137 million mansion. Oh, Sonny Balwani. Uh, Well, he will stand trial on fraud charges in the same San Jose, California courthouse in which a jury convicted Holmes. So Davila, the judge, will also preside over Balwani's trial, but a different jury will will ultimately decide the fate of Balwani. And let me tell you, I'm glad I'm not up for jury selection in that neighborhood because that's going to be the most boring I mean, there's not enough Sudoku for these people to play (laughs) to get through another fucking trial. Excuse me. I'm curious if, is it appropriate when the judge, I never even thought about this until now. Is it appropriate when a judge presides over the same entities in the same case, because they're almost privy to other information that was just in the other trial. But it's jury trial, right? True. But they are the ones that determine what can be used or not in court. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I never thought about that. That's curious. Oh, Sonny's got something coming his way and Sonny can't go have a baby. So, or blame his, uh, her for being abusive. Yeah. Okay. But who knows? Maybe she did rule with an iron fist and like kicked Sonny around a little bit. Huh? <laughs> I'm curious to see what comes out. Honestly, did he testify in her trial? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think we would have heard about that. Right. Me too. Or at least got the artist rendering of Sonny with his, yeah. you know, little loafers <laughs> sitting up on the stand. That's all I've got. I mean, that's a lot in my book, but let's move on. Okay. So sadly, Bob Saget died this week. I know. Which is oh. so, so sad. He was a mensch, a really good guy, you know? He was, and he had dirty humor, but he was really funny. I used to watch him on TikTok and he's just funny. <laughs> and I remember him doing something to like watermelon. What's that song? Watermelon sugar or whatever. And he'd sing Lizzo and Lizzo. And all that, yeah. I don't know if you watched Ladies of London. I didn't. So I did, and I loved it. And Juliet from that show, Juliet Angus, actually dated Bob Saget, and I had no idea. 
Everybody. What's happening? All of a sudden, I feel like the bad guy. And I'm thinking, how did I get here? For how long? Uh, she didn't really say. She just said her husband told her that he died and that she was very upset. Mm-hmm. She dated him in her 20s after he got divorced from his wife. And she said that after 1997, and she said, I dated some big jerks in my 20s. She joked on her Instagram story. She goes, he was not one of them. She said he was a kind soul who was young at heart. He could make everyone laugh and one of the best friends you could have. He was loved and adored by everyone. Her husband actually said to her, why don't you just have a big cry? (laughs) Because he felt bad for her knowing what a good guy he is. I mean, it was a rough couple of weeks. We lost uh, Betty White, Sydney Poitier. I mean, I've met Sydney several times at different interviews and he was always came up to say hello. He was, oh my God, that man was a gentleman. I mean, like Bob, I mean, we just lost three really amazing souls. Sad. Mm. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. So we lost a couple other people in Hollywood. But before I get to those, I wanted to tell you about a quick series that is coming out by Ethan Hawke. Mm-hmm. The series that's coming out is that Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. It's a six episode documentary series. And he is chronicling the pair's romance. And it's going to show on CNN streaming platform. And it's executive produced by Martin Scorsese. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know if you know too much about them, but I don't think people realize he had like a secret wife. Yeah. Before he met Joanne. Yes. And he had three kids with her. You know, my old boss, one of my old bosses at E was Joanne's brother. Get out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) See, I always have this tendency. I'll pick these random stories and you're like, oh, I have a connection to them. Tell me, did they look like each other? They they did a little bit, but uh, I don't know if it, no, I don't know. I mean, they kind of look similar, but I think they were stepbrothers. I'm not sure if it was, his, I think it was his stepsister, but uh, we were always asking him about stories about Joanne and Paul. We're like, tell us the story. Cause we all loved, I loved Joanne Woodward and Paul Newman. She had such a coolness about her. Yeah. I mean, they were such a slick couple, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I didn't know until way later that he had, you know, the secret family and the secret wife. Yeah. And the secret wife had found out he was running around with Joanne on the movie sets and all that. And she refused to give him a divorce. She had three toddlers or three little kids until I guess rumors hit that Joanne Woodward was pregnant. And so she had like no choice at that point. But his son, his only son he had, because he's had all girls, Mm -hmm. except for Scott, who got hooked on alcohol and I think some painkillers after his motorcycle accident when he was 28 back in like the late seventies and he ended up dying. So that's when Paul Newman started a foundation for him. And then all these other things happened where he had the salad dressing and all these other products. And then it started fueling. He's became a huge philanthropist. And I wonder if it really started with his son or was it before then? Someone told me, and I don't know who this was that he had always been like very generous since even in his early days before he was a star, he was a very generous person. And I think Joanne added to that because she was very into philanthropy. That's one thing that my old boss did say is that she always had her hand in something, something to give and improve. 
That's really admirable because my grandmother was really big into Hollywood and all that. And she'd have me watch all the old movies. So at first I have to admit, I was a little biased because my grandmother's the one that told me the story of the ex-wife. And I was like, oh, she stole the husband and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would watch the movies of her and she's so cool and calm and kind of comes across as guy's girl. And he never really talked about the situation with the ex-wife. Uh, he would always refuse. He would finally say, I was probably too immature to make a success of my first marriage. What happened to us during that period is nobody's business, but eventually he did confess to being guilty as hell and confess that I'll carry it with me for the rest of my life. So he became one of the most loyal Hollywood husbands and they were so divinely happy, but it came at like the expense of this other girl. Each weekend, Newman and Woodward escaped the heat and occasional hurricanes for the pleasures of nearby New Orleans. We also bought a bed, which we found in an antique shop. And it was quite large for a, ba- for, for a brass bed. And the antique dealer said, well, the reason it is that large is it was made for a whorehouse. And I was so excited by that, I said, oh, my heavens, I have to buy this, which I did. And it's upstairs in our bedroom. We've had it ever since. I mean, a lot of times I feel like the first wife always gets kind of dumped when they hit the big, like Frank Sinatra's wife yeah. and all that. Yeah. It's like, oh, I can get free pussy. Oh my God. Yeah. That's just like, sorry. That's just like these married at first sight couples. Once the show airs and they get all the social media recognition, it's like, oh God, I don't have to stay with this woman they set me up with. I've got options. Oh my God. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause these people say they couldn't find anyone for years and years and years. And then they have like thousands of people throwing them at their feet. Did he tell you anything else about her? No. I mean, just that she was a really chill, wonderful person. I mean, it's kind of, there's some people who uh, the, the behind the scenes and the gossip is just the same as what they portray out in the public. And yeah, it's like Bob Saget. He was a genuinely, uh, genuinely good person. Same with Betty White. Everything that was behind the scenes was also in front of the scenes. You just, yeah. It's just, you get what you get. The secret of them is their natures were pretty similar and mm-hmm. that they had a deep mutual interest and obvious feeling of companionship. They were just very good friends. They enjoyed each other. They did everything together. That's for sure. So uh, so we had a couple deaths in Hollywood that actually I don't think people may r- remember or even realize the connections to some other stories we know of. Mm-hmm. First is that Phil Spector's ex-wife, Ronnie Spector, died, which she had a very crazy divorce with him. He would pull guns out on her and all that. There's some biography documentaries out there about him and his sons are on there. And he's definitely a character. He's. He's a piece of garbage. I'm sorry. You know, he's very talented, but his threatening people with guns and especially women about three or four years ago, I was approached to do a show about him, like a true crime show about him, because we had a connection to someone who was who was close to oh God, what's her? I'm going to get her. You're stuck with Dorothy. Lana Clarkson. Lana Clarkson. Yeah. She was Lana Clarkson's best friend, but was she really? Because she just spilled a whole bunch of dirt about Lana Clarkson, but it really gave me an insight into how many times he would threaten women with guns. I mean, you didn't even have to be dating him or married to him to get a gun pulled on you. There was a gun at his desk or by his side at all times. But seriously, it's, it's a form of mental illness. It has to be. 
I mean, literally like putting guns in people's mouths and threatening to blow their head off. I mean, just a piece of garbage, like sayonara. So Phil. if you don't remember who Phil Spector was on, on February 3rd of 2003, there was an actress who was kind of big in like the B movies, I guess you call them. And she had been a hostess at a restaurant. Lana Clarkson had went to House his house. Blues, yes. Nine one one. What are you reporting? Hi, it's, uh, my name is Adriano. I think my boss killed somebody. Now, why do you believe he may have killed somebody? Because he have a lady on the, on the floor and he has a gun on, the, on his hand. The first responders were confronted with almost the unbelievable. Minutes after the nine one one call, police arrive at seventeen hundred South Grandview Drive known in the working-class suburb of Alhambra, California, as the Castle. After speaking with Adriano D'Souza, the homeowner's driver, police approached the well-fortified house. Her, so her body was found slumped in a chair with a single gunshot wound to her mouth. And Spectre said that it was an accidental suicide and that she kissed the gun. However, when his, the driver called from the house, uh, his last name is D'Souza, he quotes Spectre saying, I think I killed somebody and that he saw Spectre come out the front or out the back door of the house with a gun in his hand. I don't even think he got arrested right away or anything like that. They just did investigations. He eventually gets convicted. But even when I was out there researching clips for the show, people there was lawyers still saying he was innocent, but he passed on about last year. Yeah, he had blood. You know, the big thing was we were going to go into that house because for years no one would touch it. He made it to look like a mini castle or something. And it's in like a crap part of Los Angeles. But he made this mini castle and it was all about the blood spatter on his. He was wearing like a suit jacket or a like almost like a Hugh Hefner jacket that night. Very confusing. I mean, uh, Lana's friend was telling us, oh, she was depressed. This was easily suicide. She was always threatening suicide because she just couldn't get a, a role anymore. That was the reason she went home with them that night. She was hoping she could get a role or that would lead to somewhere. Mm-mm. She was hostessing at the House of Blues yeah. on Sunset. I mean, of course, she's older, wants to try and be relevant again. I think she was like 40 at the time. And I remember reading that yeah. and they kept talking about her like the aging actress. And now I'm over 40 and I'm like, <laughs> She was not aging. She was in her prime. I know. I know. I'm like, 37 is the prime. That was my prime, for Christ's sake. (laughs) And our last story is that Peter Bogdanovich died. And I knew him through his relationship with Dorothy Stratton. And I I watched the E! Truly Hollywood story on that one. Eli, thank you. I didn't produce it, but the the producer next to me produced it. And that was a big one. It was huge. Really a confusing, messed up story on so many levels. I mean, yes. just the fact that the ex-husband and her are found new. I mean, the suicide murder was horrifying. He put her on some sort of bench and tied her up. She was bent yeah. over. It was not even a it was not a death with dignity. Not that there no. is anyone you're being killed, but it was a very humiliating way to go. So Bogdanovich was directing a movie called um, They All Laughed and it featured Dorothy Stratton. He started a romance with her. So Stratton is only 20 years old at this time. Mm-hmm. She 
is separated from her husband, who's he was a pimp up in Canada. He also was the one of the people that had the ideas for the Chippendale dancers. That's right. That's right. Yeah. They always try to diminish how much it was his idea, but it was his idea. Mm-hmm. Her little sister was staying at the house who was 13, came to visit her in California. And she didn't tell him where she was. I think she might have told her sister, but she said, I have to run out. I have to just go over and see Paul. And I'm sure she probably came there with an absolute dead emotional heart. Just, I feel sorry for this guy and, you know, to not be loved, but pitied. That's an emotion I'm sure he could not control. You're watching this thing unfold in front of you and you know it's not... uh... It's not going to be good. On August 14, 1980, Dorothy Stratton went to see her husband, Paul Snyder, to tell him that she wanted a divorce. Her lover, Peter Bogdanovich, had no idea where she had gone. She just didn't come back. She didn't come back for hours. I was very nervous. Didn't know what was going on. I waited and waited and waited, and she never came at 10 o'clock at night. Peter was concerned. Everybody was concerned. I knew where she went. When Louise said that she'd gone over to see Snyder, um, a kind of spear went through my heart of fear. I think she just thought she had to calm him down, and he locked her in the room, and they found her naked, bent over, Mm -hmm. And then he killed himself. The roommates found them. What I found interesting, and I got out the whole doc, the whole e Truly Hollywood story, is he went on to marry her little sister. And Bogdanovich. Yes. Yeah. So Hugh Hefner accused Bogdanovich of seducing Stratton's younger sister, Louise, because Bogdanovich blamed Hugh Hefner for exploiting her. And Bogdanovich always said, no, that's not true at all. He just became friends with like the mom and the sister through their mutual grief. Like it had to be when she was like 13 or 14, right? Well, the 49 year old Bogdanovich married 20 year old Louise and then they eventually divorced in 2001. So they were married from 1988 to 2001. But when he met her, she had to be like 13 or 14. Yeah, she was 13. She stayed at his house when she came to visit California to visit her sister. That's right, because they were dating, yeah. Yeah, the day that she was murdered, she left her little sister at Bogdanovich's house because that's where they were staying. You know, I think he was so in love with Dorothy that it was almost like Louise was the replacement. Like, he just wanted a part. He just wanted a part of Dorothy, and that was the, the closest way to get a part of her. That's what I was thinking. And then she met him so young, and they didn't have a father figure in the picture mm-hmm. that she, he kind of became this father figure. Yeah, no, it was definitely, I mean, it lasted a long time, that relationship. I, yeah, very, I think they had children and all that together. So he, he passed on. If you actually look at his wiki page, it's a lot about his career. There's only very small amount, even about anything with personal, you can definitely tell his PR or somebody has, has been through it and, and all that. When did they divorce? 2001. And they were married in 1988. Wow. Yeah. So she basically grew up with him. And she was still only like 30 by the time they divorced. Yep. So it's a baby. Yep. So yeah, that's all I got. We got some interesting tales of uh, death. It's been a full couple of weeks. (laughs) Yeah. Happy January. I know. A year ago, this, no, I won't even say it. Never mind. Mm. 
daddy. Oh, I know. I got the email. I'm really sorry. I know. You got the email? We had done the contribution. So it oh, told me that it was his anniversary. Oh, God. I can't even take it. And COVID, of course, is like exploding everywhere here. Can we have your brother on again so we can talk about Roswell? Yes. He would love to. Cassie cut that part out when we did the episode. Oh, yeah. So to keep it just about the one topic. So I hope he comes back and he basically forgets he even said anything to us and, and says it again. And I want to talk to him about, uh, I think, the movie Men Who Stare at Goats. I'm sure he's seen it. Because it talks about how they do certain things with the CIA with telepathic messaging and all that. Mm. So he sure would he'd be, he, yeah, well, he knows how to do it. That's what I'm looking him up. Oh, what do they call it? Um, what if he's in the CIA and you don't even know it? I, I think I would know that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I don't know. Um, he never travels. He takes care of my mom. So he would have to be doing some really covert shit in the basement, uh, like tunneling out of the house and traveling <laughs> in the middle of the night. Uh, he, you never know. He could be like the next MacGyver. He's definitely the next MacGyver. He comes up with my dad and my brother have some unique fixes to things around the house. Very unique fixes. Like you, Jody messaged us about all the spoiled food in the fridge. That was definitely my parents' fridge. But adding on to that, my dad would fix everything with caulking. (laughs) (laughs) Everything in our house had caulking. It was caulked within an inch of its life. (laughs) And my brother is kind of turning out the same way, not caulking, but he'll just like, Duct tape and Windex. But his everything. own little like spin on things. He's always loves, he loves to fix things. So That's something really cute. As opposed to like going out and buying something new. No, I'm going to try and fix it first. And it may take weeks for mm-hmm. it to get done. But he's like, I am going to try and fix it first. And he's usually successful. But in the meantime, my sister's like, we haven't had a dryer in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and he was named after Tyrone Powers, which is yes. a cool story too. Yes. My mom loved those movies. I had a crush on Ray Land. Really? I've been going through a World War II phase again because I watched The Devil Next Door. Oh, wow. Which I, through the whole series, I was going back and forth whether he was Ivan the Terrible or not. I don't know if you saw it. I didn't see it. John Demyanyuk, he was a family man. He was living the American dream. He was a good American citizen. Up until the government came along and said he was Ivan the Terrible. Charges were filed today against John Demyanyo, the 66-year-old Ukrainian native, is accused of being a Nazi death camp guard named Ivan the Terrible. The crimes that he was accused of were horrid. The Israeli government is seeking his extradition as a war criminal. And that's where the drama begins. Once the survivors began to testify, it became a national obsession. It was a zoo. There were news crews parked halfway down the street. His wife couldn't believe what was going on. We were looking at the fact that we may never see him again, and they're going to put him to death in Israel. Justice Department presented evidence right from the KGB. I was sure that I would destroy the show. There was something rotten going on. My father's a very kind person, a very gentle person. Are you sure you're not making a mistake? 
Everybody in the courtroom went, <gasps> Demiano could have been a monster or a victim of wrong identity. My deepest fear is that I think he can be anybody. I'm going back and forth was I did come to the conclusion. I thought he was a guard, but maybe, but maybe not Ivan the terrible. And then I did some of my own research after as you do, because that's mm-hmm. what I do. Can't help it. And then I watched all these other documentaries. So the diary of Anne Frank, I did not know. She also had a thing for Ray Milan and she had a poster up on his wall that made me so sad. What's like, is, it, uh, is that series, the, the Devil Next Door, is that Netflix or Amazon Prime? Definitely check it out. It was on Netflix because, you know, I was looking for stuff to watch. I think I started it. And Misha and the Wolf. Did you watch that one? What is it? Misha and the Wolf. What's that about? I could never make up this plot. If I did, somebody would say this is preposterous. This would not happen. I was so overwhelmed by this story. It's unbelievable. Misha is a Holocaust survivor. She's here to tell her astonishing story. You could have heard a pin drop. When she was only seven years old, she walked alone through Nazi-occupied countries across thousands of miles in search of her deported parents. This story had an amazing twist. I turn around. And I see this magnificent animal. I felt no fear. It accepted me and protected me. I was thinking this would make a fascinating book. My agent said Disney wants this. Oprah wants this. That was the jackpot. We are heading into a monster bestseller here. She's so in my life a gold mine. It's an untenable position to be in. A cruel exploiter of an innocent Holocaust survivor. They came in with a massive judgment against me. 22.5 million. Ah, all of a sudden, flash. This doesn't add up. I needed to get to the truth. I was going through old records. I had no idea what I was going to find. I was looking at names and places and dates. Something's wrong. She's trying to hide something. The lists of hidden children. They didn't have Misha. She didn't exist. I wanted to know who is this person that has ruined my life. And then came the next twist. La question pour moi était de savoir quelle était sa véritable histoire. How can this possibly be? She's both a victim and a villain in this story. A real wolf pack, like raised by wolves. I wonder if she was raised with my husband. Because my husband was <laughs> raised by wolves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ciao, darling. Still too early to go to Tiffany's. I guess the next best thing is a drink. <laughs> never be the woman with the perfect hair who can wear white and not spill on it. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Let's play a game. All right. On the count of three, name your favorite dinosaur. Don't even think about it. Just name it. Ready? One, two, 
Hey, it's me again, and you thought you probably had enough of my voice by now. Just a quick reminder to find us and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss Intrigue Pod. Follow us on Pinterest and Flipboard, where we collect featured stories from across the internet of royalty, chronicles of interesting events in history, and of course, true crime. Lastly, check out our YouTube channel because everyone has one, right? That features playlists of documentaries and other related segments from our podcast topics. And if you want to hit us up, check out MissDeedsAndIntriguePodcast.com. But we don't have a complaints department, just to give you a little heads up. The podcaster or authors assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained on this podcast is an as-is basis with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. A reasonable amount of effort was made to deliver precise data. All views expressed by the podcast hosts or guest co-hosts are their own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which Carrie, Misdeeds, or Intrigue Podcast, or Larissa have been, am now, or will be affiliated. The content of this podcast is for personal, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and is not to be viewed for commercial use. Misdeeds and Intrigue Podcast respects the intellectual property of others. Any audio clips that were not generated by the podcast host or producer was pulled from the public domain, free use sites, and or from YouTube, or other authorized sites to gather information. The utmost effort was made to credit the author and or production. If at any time you feel that copyright was infringed, please email Carrie at misdeedsandintriguepodcast.com and immediate action will be taken to remove the audio clips that were present for entertainment purposes only.